All right, let's uh, all grab a seat this morning. Let's all make our way back to our seats. All right, good morning. Okay, before we address the fathers here this morning and wish the, um, the fathers here a wonderful, happy Father's Day, we have a few announcements and then um, one other announcement, kind of a big one that we're going to talk about for a moment, and then we'll get to fathers, okay? So if you're a father here, if you're, we didn't forget you. I'm a father, so I'm not going to forget myself. So, okay, so we're definitely going to address Father's Day this morning, but real quickly, uh, just a few things to go over before we talk about Father's Day. All right, first thing to talk about this morning, and this one is more of a little church family meeting. Um, this week was an important milestone um, with COVID, obviously, with things being um, opened up and things being loosened even a little more. And so um, I don't know about you, but if you've been out, if you went out in public this week, most of the places you went into, there were signs there on the front that said, if you are fully vaccinated, uh, masks are optional. And so we also want to share with you guys this morning and give you guys that same um, opportunity. If you guys are fully vaccinated and you guys would like to, um, from this point forward, uh, not wear your mask at service, uh, feel free to, okay? And, um, but let me also say this real quick. I also believe that we need to make sure that we are erring on the side of caution um, with the mask. And so let me say this real quickly. As far as children's ministry is concerned, where we are um, engaging with your little ones, our teachers are still going to be required, even if vaccinated, to wear masks. So I just want to let you parents know that even in the classrooms, um, everyone involved in children's ministry will still continue um, to be wearing masks while they're uh, with your children. Okay, so wanted to throw that out there. And so whatever, wherever you're at, wherever your conviction is, wherever you're most comfortable, um, from this point forward, you guys do um, what you need to do. So, okay, so I'm going to throw that out there for you guys. All right, secondly, we have a few other announcements. Next Sunday, I want to invite you guys not only to come back on Sunday morning for church, but next Sunday evening, June 27th, we're going to be having a night of worship. My friend Wilfredo Narita, he's a pastor for worship over at Calvary Chapel Ventura. He's going to be coming out that night, and he's going to be leading us in worship. And he's also going to be sitting down, him and I, we're going to sit down, and we're going to have a conversation biblically about worship, okay? So some of the questions you guys might have, some of the things that may be in the area of worship that you're wanting answered biblically, uh, we're going to take that evening to not only worship the Lord through song, through praise, but we're also going to sit down and have a biblical conversation about worship that evening. And so I want to encourage you guys to come out, join us that night. I really believe it's going to be a great night. We're calling it Growing in Worship, and it's sort of going to be the kickoff, the launch for our upcoming grow season, which involves our grow groups. All right, got some permanent dates for you guys, okay? So this week, okay, by, um, by Wednesday, by Wednesday, I'm, I'm staring at you, Anthony. By, by Wednesday, we're going to have all the information up on our website um, concerning grow groups, okay? So if you go onto our website beginning this Wednesday, there'll be a tab on there, and all the information will be on there. Obviously, we're going to have three grow groups that we're specifically focusing on. Um, we're going to have a apologetics basics grow group. So we're calling it a know and grow group. We're going to have the marriage group that we're calling growing together. Okay, very romantic, very cute. And then we're also going to be having our youth grow group. Okay, and so those are going to be taking place during the week here at our facility. So I encourage you guys beginning Wednesday to go onto our website and the information, the specifics of how you guys can get involved and what it's going to look like will be there on the website. All right, one more thing. Concerning children's ministry, 
I just want to say thank you to those of you who um, have stepped up in the past week or two to jump in and get involved in children's ministry. Obviously, since we were down with COVID, we didn't have a need for a year for children's ministry. And along that time, you know, we lost some teachers and things like that. So as we've been trying to build up the children's ministry, a lot of that responsibility fell on the McNabs and on my wife, Christina, to jump in and almost every week um, since we started back in April to um, be there in the children's ministry. But because so many of you guys got involved and signed up to help, you guys have tremendously relieved uh, Michael and Quina and Christina from being involved in children's ministry. So on behalf of Christina, you know, I definitely... Um, thank you guys for jumping in. And if any, anyone else wants to jump in, make sure you guys talk to Pastor Sam or Krishana and they can get you guys plugged in. And then also a reminder, um, if any of you guys are interested in being a part of our BBS planning committee, I know that we're still um, welcoming people to be a part of that planning process. And so you guys can also see Pastor Sam or Krishana um, if you guys want to get involved with VBS. Real quick, you guys know who Pastor Sam is? Just in case, he's right there in the back. The man with the glasses in his hand. Okay, so that's the man to talk to if any of you guys are interested in getting involved with VBS. All right, one more thing before we talk about Father's Day. When we first planted our church about nine years ago, most of you guys are probably tired of me saying this, but I'll say it again, one of the things that we set out to do and one of the things that we felt was a very clear vision from the Lord was that Coastline would be a family church and that people would come in and prayerfully come and find family, you know, amongst the group here. About five years ago, there was a family that came to Coastline, the Braga family, and, you know, we, for a little season, we had sort of a Brazilian invasion here at Coastline. Okay, some of you guys might have been around at that time. I mean, Brazilians were coming like crazy. You know, we were, we were praying about even changing our name to the Salvation Army Church of God. Okay, so that's how many Brazilians were coming. And one of the families that came, one of those Brazilian families that came was Isaiah and Lelini. And... No joke, these two have definitely, um, if you've been around for a while, they have become family for us, and they are family to us. And um, in case you guys don't know, Isaiah and Lelini, on Tuesday, they embark on a new season. Um, they're moving to Colorado, to, Fort, to the Fort Collins area, and um, we love them. Definitely sad to see them go. I call Isaiah my best friend, so it's kind of like I'm losing a best friend. And so I'm going to ask them to come up real quick. This, this is your moment, Lelini. I know you've always wanted to speak to this crowd, so I'm, I, I'm just kidding. But you guys can come up, and this is Isaiah and Lelini. And we're going to pray over them real quick. And so if you're part of the original Brazilian invasion, well, why don't you come up here too, because I know you guys are going to, you guys are really sad. Um, Come on, this is family for you guys too, so. <laughs> and if you're Brazilian and don't know them, you're also welcome to come up and lay hands too, but um, we want to come up and we want to pray over uh, this couple and ask the Lord to watch over them and bless them. And, and then also, if you don't know, Lelini and Marcel are brother and sister, so that's why it's such a a special, but difficult moments so um, but let's pray father uh, we come before you and lord we thank you for what you're doing here at our church father thank you for that family vibe that that family in christ that you've that you've built and that family in christ that you're continuing to build here and i thank you that a few years ago you brought Isaiah and Lelini along our path here at Coastline. And Father, thank you that they've become so much more than friends. But Father, they are family. They are family through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for just the memories and the friendship that each of us, Lord, those of us that 
have gotten to know them. Lord, thank you for those friends, for that friendship. And Lord, even for just the partnership in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would take Isaiah's, Lalini, God, and their girls. And Lord, would you give them traveling mercies, Lord, as they head toward Colorado this week. And Father, even for this new season of life that the Braga family finds themselves in. Lord, we pray that, they, that you would go with them. We pray that they would find a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church there in Colorado, Lord, where they can also go and settle into that family, into that fellowship. God, would you be with them? Watch over their marriage. Lord, watch over their home. God, be with their girls. Lord, it's, it's sad. It's, it's difficult to see them leave. But Father, we also know that they're following you and that they've heard from you. And so lead them and guide them and protect them. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the years that you've given to us with this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We love you. Cool. All right, I know the guys in the sound booth are, are crying because that's their, that's their tax man, so. But. All right. All right, Father's Day. It's Father's Day. For many of us today is a really special day, especially those of us who are fathers. We get to hang out with our children, get to spend time with them, barbecue with them, share a meal with them, play with them. Whatever it is that you have planned today, today's a, a special day. You know, I, I reflect back on my time these past 18 years, starting with Chloe and then on down to Nathan. And I mean, every memory in my life that I can think back on, every good memory somehow is associated with, with one of them. You know, it's such a special role that the Lord entrusts um, to us men to be fathers. And I pray that it's a role that none of us would take lightly. And so in just a moment, we're going to pray um, for those of you here who are fathers, and we'll lay hands on you guys. And I just... As someone whose daughter just turned 18, let me say to you dads, hug them, hold them, and do whatever you need to do to make memories with them because it happens so fast. You know, for years I've been dreading 2021, the year that my oldest turned 18. And, and it happened so quickly. And so some of you might have little ones and you're like, oh, they're only three. I got forever. It happens very quickly. And so make sure that you guys love on them and spend as much time as you can with them. But let me also say this this morning. Father's Day is a time of celebration. It's a time of saying to those who are present, is Father's good job, and we're praying for you. But Father's Day also for some of you, can be, it might be a difficult day. You know, I, I want to recognize for a moment that some of you do not have your dad with you either this year or maybe your dad's gone to be with the Lord. You know, I know here, just within our leadership here at Coastline, I know in the past few months, um, two people within our core team, our leadership group, who've lost their deaths, you know, just a few months ago, I know Arlen over in the sound booth, this is his first Father's Day without his dad. And I know for Rachel, this is her first Father's Day without um, her dad as well. And so I just want to say to you guys, as someone who just went through their first Mother's Day last year without his mom, I know that today is probably hard for you guys. You know, I know that for some of you, possibly even the last thing you want to do is go to church. 
You know, you wanted to, if you were like me two years ago on that Mother's Day, you just want to lay in bed, put a pillow over your head, and just pretend the day's not happening because it's painful. But the one thing the Lord showed me a couple years ago was that although I wasn't with my mom, I didn't have my mom to celebrate, there were still a ton of other women within our family, specifically my wife, who deserved to be celebrated that day. And so those of you that are grieving, our hearts are there with you. But let me say, there are some men in this room, there are some men in our families who the Lord will give you the strength to celebrate today and to recognize today. And so if you're a father this morning, would you just stand real quick? We want to pray over you guys and recognize you guys this morning and ask the Lord to watch over you and bless you and if you're, around, if you're around a man who is a father who's standing this morning, would you just go and lay your hand on their shoulder very quickly this morning, those of you around them? And we just want to pray for God's uh, blessing upon them. And so, Father, Father, we thank you for just this day that you've given to men fathers, father figures, uncles, grandpas, to be celebrated. Lord, I thank you for these men that are standing, these men who you've entrusted the role of fatherhood to. God, I pray that each and every one of them, Lord, would take this responsibility so seriously. Lord, that they would see it as a role, as a stewardship from you. That God, you've entrusted to them lives, young lives. Lives that they are to point to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that each of these men would not try or attempt to parent in their own strength. I pray for each of these men that they would parent by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that when they don't know the answers, God, that they would seek daily your word and hear from you. I pray that they would be men of courage, that they would be men of conviction, that they would be men of strong, godly character. Lord, that they would have a commitment to you and that they would have a commitment to the body of Christ. And Lord, that that commitment would also mean that they are going to raise their children in the ways of the Lord. And so God, watch over them, protect them. Keep them, Lord, from the evil one. God, give them the strength every single day, although weary and tired and and just burn out, Lord, from work and everything else during the day. Lord, give them a supernatural strength, God, to spend that time, to make those memories. Because, Lord, it happens so fast. And, Lord, we also this morning want to thank you for being a good father. Lord, even as Charles and the worship team sang about this morning, Lord, we run to the Father every single day. Lord, would we run to our Heavenly Father. Thank you for being a good, good Father to us. And Lord, for those who can't celebrate today with, with their fathers, whether by distance or, Lord, maybe their dad's with you. God, I, I, I think of Rachel, Lord, and, and my heart's with Rachel this morning. Lord, I, I think of Arlen, and our, our heart is with Arlen this morning. And God, anyone else here who's, who comes into the day grieving or heartbroken, we pray that you would comfort them, that you'd watch over them. Lord, that you would give them the strength today to celebrate those dads who are here. Lord, would you wrap your loving arms around them. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for this church family, God, that we get to celebrate with. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. You guys may be seated. Real quick, let's give it up for the fathers here this morning. 
All right. Well, that's the good part of that. That's the good side of Father's Day. Now for the part that might make the men feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to teach a Father's Day message. Okay. So some of you guys might enjoy it. Some of you guys will leave it at that. So um, and then ladies, let me say this real quick before we get into God's word. This is not a time for the ladies. Give me your eyes for a moment, ladies. This is not a time for the ladies to go to sleep, okay? Father's Day message, we're going to tune out, zone out. But let me say this this morning. There's two things that I believe you ladies here could gain from this message this morning. First of all, it's God's word. And so anytime God's word goes forth, even if it's specifically being spoken to a specific group, I, I, I believe that anyone could get something out of the message. And so just because it's a Father's Day message doesn't mean that the Word of God is not going to go forth this, this morning and speak to you ladies. And then secondly, second reason for you ladies to tune in and not tune out is because it will give you sort of, I believe, direction on how you can pray for us men. You know, some of you wives, some of you moms, some of you ladies here, you might be maybe thinking, how can I pray for the fathers here? How can I pray for the dads here? How can I pray for my husband sitting next to me? This might even give you a little bit of insight in how you can pray for us men. All right, this week, my intention was to pick up where we left off in 2 Samuel. If you're with us a couple months back before we moved into this space, we were going, we were cruising along through 2 Samuel, and then we moved, and then we kind of started that whole series on growing, and, and so we got away from 2 Samuel. On Thursday this week, as I sat with the text, as I sat with the Lord, I feel like the Lord really gave me a good direction with the chapter that we were going to pick up um, with there in 2 Samuel. But as I continued to sit with the text, one thing that I knew was that it wasn't a study for this weekend. The main topics of the chapter were incest, rape, hate, murder. Not really Father's Day themes. Maybe a couple of you need to hear that, but I I, I felt like, okay, we'll leave that for next week. So as I continued to sit with the Lord, he led me to the story of Gideon. And so if you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to Judges chapter 8? Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. Let's read together this morning. Let's pick it up in verse 22. Judges chapter 8, verse 22. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of the Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Verse 24, then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the king's of Median and besides the chains that were around their camel's neck. Verse 27, then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and his house. If you have your pen pencils, something that makes a line there in verse 27, would you underline the end of the verse? It became a snare to Gideon and his house. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would take this passage, that you would take the story here, the story of Gideon, and we pray that you would speak to our heart. Father, for the men, God, that you would speak to our heart. Lord, for the ladies, God, that you would speak to their heart. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. 
in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can title this morning's message, Daddy is a Model. Daddy is a Model. Here at Coastline, we have some really good-looking dads. Can I get an amen from the wise? Right? We have some really good-looking dads in the room. I mean, take a look around, you know, canvas the scene. We got some, you know, we even have a couple new dads there in the back, some really, like, Doug Dynasty-looking men. I mean, we, 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 we got some really good-looking dads here at Coastline. If you look around the room this morning, there's tremendous model potential in here. When I was thinking about this morning and I was thinking about your guys' faces, I was blown away by the amount of models we have in the crowd. In fact, there's one guy here who has superhero good looks, you know, in this place. How many of you guys know Alex? Alex was up here earlier, real quick. Alex, stand up for a second. Please remove the mask. I mean, take a look at this guy. No, no, no. Just, just real quick. Real quick. Listen, those are some superhero looks right there. Bruce Banner, the Hulk. I mean, I mean, he. he, he he has that Mark, he has that Mark Ruffalo vibe going on, you know what I mean? Jojo, what, 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 Joe, what, what's it feel like to sit behind such a superhero right there? I mean, you got I mean, think about it, man. Some even say that the pastor here has some, has some superhero qualities to him, you know? I've been told I have Jeremy Renner's nose, okay? Anyways. If you guys don't know Jeremy Renner, he's Hawkeye from the Avengers, okay? So I, I don't know if having his nose is a good thing or a bad thing, because anyways. But listen, men, you, I, we are models. Say it out loud real quick this morning, men. I am a what? Model. You're a model. Obviously, if you were to canvas the room this morning, I'm not talking about our superficial looks this morning. I'm not talking about superficial modeling. I'm not talking about, you know, some of us here are qualified to be runway models or fashion models. But I do believe that every single man, every single dad, every single Christian in this room this morning, we are called to model. Specifically, we are called to model godly character, and we are called to model godly courage to our homes, to our families, to our wife, to our children. In our text this morning, this is exactly what Gideon was for Israel. He exhibited, he, he flaunted, when people looked at him, they saw the character that Gideon modeled. He modeled this character before Israel, and he modeled this character before his household. When I mention the name Gideon, you are probably quick to remember that incredible event that took place in Judges chapter 7, where Gideon and an army, you guys remember, of 32,000 men were on their way to battle, the Midianites, but the Lord told them, you guys might remember, that 32,000 was too many. In fact, in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord spoke to Gideon. He said, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And then in verse 3, so Gideon goes and he tells the army if any of you amongst the 32,000 are nervous or fearful about the battle, go ahead and turn around. Go ahead and go back home. And out of the 32,000 that were there ready for battle, 22,000 turned around and headed home. Gideon was now 
now went from 32,000 to 10,000 men in his army. In chapter 7, verse 4, the Lord then speaks to Gideon, and he says, there are still too many men. 10,000 is still too many. So in chapter 7, verse 8, the Lord dropped the number of men in Gideon's army from 12,000 down to 300 men. So imagine this, you are ready to battle. Lord, I will fight for you. I will fight for you because I have 32,000 men that have my back. And then all of a sudden, God starts to speak, and now there's 300. There's 300. Reminds me of our, our baseball game. Some of you guys know I'm coaching Little League, and I'm not very proud of this, but about three weeks ago, I got into an argument with one of the umpires. I mean, homie was making some bad calls, and so him and I kind of had some words, stuff like that. So after the game, one of the boys' grandpas on our team, he came up to me and says, Coach, I had your back. He goes, I thought, I, I thought you and that umpire were going to get down, and I just wanted you to know, Coach, that if you would have got down with that umpire, I had your back. I was right there. I was ready to jump that fence. I would have been there on the field. And I'm like, well, I don't... I don't think it was going to go that far, but I mean, thank you. You know, it's good to know that if the pastor ever really wants to get down with an umpire, grandpa got my back, you know, and so I was like, cool, man, all good, thank you, good looking out, you know, and, and so a week later, that same umpire, him and I, you know, kind of got into it again, and I turn around and look, and grandpa wasn't there. I'm like, what happened to having my back, you know, and so I stopped arguing with the umpire, but the point this morning is this. There's something that feels good about 32,000 or an old crazy Mexican man having your back, right? I mean, there, there, there's something that feels good about knowing there's people behind you, but when that number goes from 32,000 down to 300, it starts to get a little scary. You see, on that day, Gideon led 300 men into battle. And not only did they go into battle, check this out, they went into battle armed with trumpets and jars. Now, now think about this with me for a minute. If you were going to battle, do you want musicians to come with you? Usually musicians are skinny, they wear skinny jeans, deep v-necks. I mean, those are not the type of guys that you want to take with you to battle. And then, you know, on one hand, they have their instrument. On the other hand, they're carrying a mason jar. I mean, this is not the type of army that you want to go to battle with. And yet, if you guys know the story, Gideon and 300 trumpeters with jars were able to defeat the army of the Midianites. So because of that story, Gideon is usually remembered for his character, for his courage. But there's something that happened after the battle. You know, you come to church this morning, you hear we're going to talk about Gideon. You're like, man, now that's a man of God. But there's something that happened after the battle that I believe is a huge warning from Gideon's life. Let's start in chapter 8. Take a look at verse 22 with me. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of the Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Over you. So immediately after the battle, we can tell by verse 22 and verse 23 that Gideon's heart was at a good place. The men of Israel, they come to him and they want Gideon to be their king. It was Gideon who had led them into victory. And so we see you as the man. We see you as a leader. We want you to be our king. And then eventually they also request that his son... And his son's sons could take over this 
new throne that the people of Israel were trying to establish, you could say that they were trying to create a dynasty. I'm still looking at you, man, with the beard. They were trying to create a dynasty for Gideon. But Gideon did what any good leader does. He pointed the men of Israel in the direction of the Lord. Take a look at the end of verse 23. He said, the Lord shall rule over you. They came to him asking, can you be our king? And he says, listen, the Lord shall rule over you. So Gideon basically was saying, God alone should be the king of Israel. God alone should be the one that you look to. Now, let me say this this morning. If we could close the book here, if we could end the chapter, if we could end the story, if we could end the biography here, it would have a wonderful ending. Gideon and 300 trumpeters, victorious. Gideon asked to be the king, and Gideon looking at the crowd saying, no, but God is your king. That would have been a good moment for Gideon to just drop dead and die, right? End of story, lived a good life, story went well, everything's good. Finished the race, he finished well. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. Continue reading with me, verse 24. In verse 24, Gideon makes a request. And this request now is going to open the door to some really bad decisions. Verse 24, it says, Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Verse 25, so they answered, we will gladly give them and they spread out a garment and each man threw earrings or threw their stuff into um, or from his plunder. So Gideon says, guys, listen, I will not be your king. God's your king. But I do have one thing. Remember all the plunder. Remember the spoil that we took from our victory. He says, I know within the stuff, within the the plunder that we gathered, that there must have been some gold. There must have been some gold earrings from the plunder. In verse 26, he sa- it says, now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camel's neck. And so he says, can I have the gold? That's my only request. And so they lay out the garment, they lay out the cloth, and each of them like, sure, you want the gold? I mean, we just try to make you our king I mean, the least we can do is give you the gold. So they go and they take and lay there all this gold, these earrings. Most scholars believe that this loot, that this plunder that Gideon requested in today's market would be valued somewhere between 350,000 to 400K. And so we're talking about quite a bit of amount of gold. As we get into verse 27, we see why he requests the gold. Take a look at verse 27. It says, then Gideon made it. He took the gold and he made it into an ephod and set it up in his city. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Gideon, why, why gold? Gideon, why do you want the gold from the plunder? Well, we're told here in verse 27 that he takes it and he makes it into an ephod. The ephod had spiritual significance at that time, specifically to the Israelite worship. And ephod was sort of this fashioned apron that was worn by the high priest. So what Gideon is doing is he's making an imitation ephod. 
In fact, it seems that he assumes the role, he, he steps into almost this role that God had never intended for him. The people try to make him a king. Gideon almost steps into this role of the high priest. Why would Gideon request to have an ephod made of gold given to him? If you're taking notes this morning, real quickly, there are three commands that, that Gideon breaks by making this golden ephod. And each of these that I'm going to give you in just a moment are taken, just real quick for reference, out of Exodus chapter 28. Number one, the first command that Gideon was breaking, number one, was Gideon was not qualified to wear the ephod. So the first command that he was breaking was that he was not qualified, number one, to wear the ephod. You see, God had specifically said that only the descendants of Aaron could wear the ephod. Only the high priest was allowed to wear the ephod. And here you have Gideon saying, bring all the gold and I'm going to make an ephod. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. Gideon was stepping into an office, stepping into a position that God had not called him to. Secondly, number two, if you're taking notes this morning, would you write this down? The second command that he breaks, number two, was the ephod was constructed with the wrong material. Number two, the second thing he breaks was that the ephod was being constructed by or with the wrong material. According to the Old Testament, the ephod was to be constructed of blue cloth, not gold. And so you have Gideon here going against the design, the construction the true heart of God when it came to the ephod. You see, perhaps the people, possibly even Gideon himself, were, were impressed by the way that the ephod was being constructed out of gold. But God was not impressed by the beauty of the ephod. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. God, if he's impressed by anything, it's by obedience. And so here Gideon is, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to construct this beautiful thing. The people are going to marvel. God's going to marvel. And yet what God marvels over is not what man marvels over. Man marvels over beauty. God marvels over obedience. Number three, third command that Gideon breaks. Number three, if you're taking notes and this one was probably the most significant of them all. Number three, the ephod was in the wrong location. The ephod was in the wrong location. At that time, worship there in Israel was to happen. They were instructed that it was to occur in Shiloh. And here Gideon goes to his hometown. If you guys see it there in the text, it starts with an O, Ophrah. And he brings the, the ephod there, and worship is taking place. Let me say this this morning. What Gideon was doing was Gideon was instituting not worship of God. He was instituting a rival worship of God. What he wasn't doing was he wasn't setting up a priesthood. He was instituting a rival form of priesthood. He, he was instituting a rival form of worship. And he was instituting a rival location for worship. What Gideon was doing here was dangerous. And based on these three commands... I think it's fair to say that Gideon's character as a man of God had been completely or severely compromised. His character as a man of God had been, is now severely tainted. I want to say something real quick this morning. 
about the difference between a man's reputation and a man's character because they're very different. Your reputation, a man's reputation is what people think of him, what people say of him, and how people look at him. That's a man's reputation. But your character, a man's character is who God knows you are. Your reputation is what people think, what people say, what people whisper about you. But your character is who God knows you really are. And you guys see the difference here? What people say, what they think, what they see, could be, if we're being honest this morning, completely different from what God sees when he looks at you. And so you have this man here who has this great reputation. You have this man here who people probably were still talking about. Gideon, the man, the hero, the the victor. In the people's eyes, they saw the beauty of the, the golden ephod. And I'm sure that the golden ephod only enhanced his reputation and the whispers and what people were seeing and what people were saying. But what God was seeing was a man who was almost, whether intentional or not, who was creating a rival form of priesthood, a rival form of worship, and a rival form or location of where worship was to take place. His reputation intact. His character has been damaged. His character has been marred. Would you write this verse down? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You guys, most of you know the text. Remember when the Lord sent Samuel to go and look for a new king of Israel. As Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be king, remember the words that he said there in chapter 16, verse 7. He said, Samuel, I want to remind you not to look at the outward appearance. For man, he looks at the height, the stature. He looks at all the reputation. He looks at all the things that would make or give a man a good reputation. He says, but I've rejected him. He says, the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The man, man is marveled by army victory. Man marvels at the the man who walks up with the golden ephod. That's what man sees. He says, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the character, who the man really is. Would you also write this down? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his way crooked will be found out. So you can have a great reputation, but if you're walking crooked, it'll eventually be found out. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Let me say it another way. Whoever walks in godly character will never have to worry about being exposed. Whoever walks with godly character never has to worry about having a Nathan to David moment, if you know what I mean. They never have to worry about that moment. Well, one more verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21. It says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And so I want to encourage you guys this morning Would you aim? Aim. What's aim? What you shoot for, what you target for. May may what we aim to be, may our aim be to be honorable. Not just to man, but to God. And when we're honorable to God, we'll be honorable to man. Let me say this to us men here this morning. We have a lot of aims in life. We have a lot of things that we aim for, that we shoot for, that we strive for. Some of you in your career choices, you aim to be the best. 
you aim to be profitable. You aim to be recognized, acknowledged, known. You aim. There's a lot of things we aim for. My prayer for us men is that we would aim to please the Lord. And when we make it our aim to please him, then we'll please him in our career. We'll please him at home. We'll please him in our everyday life. But when your passion becomes to aim to please man, to please your customers, to please whatever it is or whoever it might be, then eventually we're, we're, we're targeting the wrong aim. I pray that our aim would be to be honorable in the sight of the Lord. That there's two more things. Go back with me to verse 27. There's two more things I want to say about our text there in Judges chapter 8. Go back with me to verse 27. The first thing that I want to recognize very quickly this morning in verse 27, it says, after this ephod was made out of gold, it says, all Israel played the harlot with it there. And so the ephod, the, the, the worship, was now established there in Gideon's hometown. And Gideon brought something before God's people that would cause them to turn their worship from God to man. If you're taking notes, these words, the, the words played the harlot, in the Hebrew, in the original language, specifically in the Old Testament, usually are always referred to spiritual failure or spiritual unfaithfulness. So we're told that this country, this nation, God's people, because of what Gideon had started here, they would now go on to play the harlot. They would go on to be spiritually unfaithful to the Lord. What it did was it ushered in, as I mentioned a moment ago, an alternate worship. It, it, it ushered in a different type of worship experience for people, where the worship was now, now no longer directed to the Lord, but it was directed to stuff and man. It ushered in an era of harlotry for this nation. Number two, would you write this down there in verse 27? It says, It, the ephod, became a snare to Gideon and to his house. If you're taking notes, this word snare in the Hebrew, it, it literally speaks of to ruin or to trap. The ephod, specifically what's being talked about here in verse 27, this ephod eventually ruined it eventually became a snare. It eventually destroyed Gideon's family. If you didn't catch that, go back to verse 27. And if you didn't underline it earlier, I encourage you guys to underline it very quickly. It says, The ephod became a snare, a ruin, a trap. And make sure you don't gloss over this. To Gideon and to his house. This is where Father's Day comes in, guys. Because of the decisions that Gideon was now making, he was bringing ruin or he was setting up a trap. He was destroying his house. His house. Men, in your Bible, circle, underline, put a star next to his house. Because just like Gideon had a house, we two fathers, we have a house. And obviously I'm not talking about the, the building with the porch or the yard or, or, or the place with the couch. I'm talking about the people within the house. I'm talking about your spouse, your wife. I, I'm talking about your children, your grandchildren. The ephod became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Let me say this this morning, men, there are ephods that will come our way and try to destroy our family. And for every man in this room, your ephod might be different than, e than Gideon's ephod. And whatever your ephod might be, might be different than what my ephod might be. You see, an ephod represented an area of compromise, 
or an area of disobedience that the enemy will put before me. He'll put before you. He put this before Gideon. And we must realize, give me your eyes for a moment, church. Men, our families are at stake. The enemy will put an ephod vision before us, just like he did with Gideon. And our families are at stake. And so if you have an area of compromise, or if you have an area of disobedience that you've kind of just, you've, it's there. And you don't talk about it, you don't touch it, but it's there. Hasn't been utterly destroyed, hasn't been put out of your sight. It's, it's just kind of lingering and sitting there. You must realize that that area, that that ephod, it has your family. It has my family. It even possibly could have our church family at a place where we are all severely vulnerable. Vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Vulnerable to the enemy wanting to divide our homes, our marriages, our houses. There's one more thing that I want to focus on before we're finished this morning. Jump with me over to verse 30. There's one more thing I want to mention about Gideon's character at this point in his life. It says in verse 30, Gideon had 70 sons. Happy Father's Day, Gideon. I mean, imagine all the gifts and the barbecues this man gets to go to. Gideon had seven. In fact, we fathers, the very first Father's Day might have been at Gideon's house. I don't even know. But anyways, Gideon had 70 sons who were his offspring. For he had many wives. And his concubine was in Shechem, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. So obviously, when you get to verse 30, one of the things that jumps off the page about Gideon is that this man had 70 sons. S-O-N. We're not even talking about daughters. So it wasn't he had 70 children. Homie had 70 sons, and who knows how many children. So you thought Father Abraham was the man. Gideon, I mean, this guy had 70 sons, 70 direct descendants. But we're also told the reason he had 70 sons, thank goodness for the one wife, was because he had many wives. Imagine one woman with 70 kids. That would have been crazy. But this is the downside now. Gideon has become a famous leader. And the mentality of the, the Canaanite culture that they lived in, and if we're being honest, even the culture that we live in today, is that one of the perks of being powerful, thinking about Bill Gates right now, one of the perks of being powerful is the abuse of relationships. You know, there's something about being powerful or being a, a person of a prominence that makes a man think that it's okay to just have multiple. I'll have multiple wives. I'll have multiple mistresses. I mean, it's the way the world thinks. It's the way the Canaanites thought. It was one of the perks of power. But would you write this down? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, we're told that those in Israel, one of the commands of God was that they were not to multiply wives for themselves. And so you see this man of God, Gideon, victorious in war, great reputation, and yet we see that he had many wives with many women. He, he sounds like an NBA player, right? I mean, many wives with many women. Anybody remember Sean Kemp? I mean, that guy had a lot of children. Antonio Cromarty, and anybody remember? Okay, anyways, these are men with, lot of, with lots of children. I love sports, but anyways, listen. It was a direct violation of God's word. But when you're in the world, when, you're, when your eyes are off the Lord, you can talk yourself in. You can convince yourself it's just one of the perks of power. 
But there's one more thing that I want to say about Gideon, and we're going to close here. In verse 31, it says that he also had a concubine. And so he had many wives, many sons. And oh, by the way, verse 31, he has a concubine, or you could say a mistress. Your multiple wives wasn't good enough for you. You you, you need to have a mistress on the side. And we're told that this mistress, she wasn't from where he was. She was from Shechem. But what I really want to focus on is what they named him. Go back with me to the end, verse 31. It says, And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. And the name of the son, it says, they called him Abimelech. This is where we're going to finish this morning. The name Abimelech, it literally means my father is a king. My father is a king. Let's wrap this up this morning. Back in verse 22, when the people came to Gideon and said, Gideon, would you rule over us? Would you be our king? Gideon was still at a place where he was able to recognize the Lord and say, no, God is the king. God will rule over you. But it's now 40 years, we're told in verse 29, 40 years is now passed from victory to this place where he's having a, a, a baby with the concubine. And Gideon goes and names his son, your father, my father is a king. You guys can close your Bibles. We're, we're, we're done this morning. After 40 years of compromise, after 40 years of disobedience, after 40 years of living now a sensual lifestyle, and what we saw here this morning, a, 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 an utter disregard for, for the law of God, we finally get to the point in Gideon's life where at one time he says, I, I'm not going to touch that. God is king to where he names his son, I'm the king. I'm the king. I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days. When we are living in compromise, when we're living in disobedience, we are capable of doing things that we never thought we were capable of doing. Things such as going against God. Oh, I would never go against God. He's the king. Forty years later, I named my son Abimelech. I'm the king. You see how subtle disobedience, subtle disregard for God and his commands. And all of a sudden, a man, a family, they become out of control. This morning, let me say this to you before we pray. I pray that every single man, every single father, every single one of you listening this morning, I pray that you and I would be modeling for our children. But I pray that we are not modeling hypocrisy. I pray that we are not modeling disobedience. And I sure pray that we are not modeling apathy. You see, for me, one of the biggest killers of a home spiritually is when the man models apathy. What I mean by that is when a man does not stay involved with this family, when a man does not stay involved with his children, and when a man does not stay involved with this church, you become apathetic. And instead of refusing, refusing the urge to become a spiritual couch potato or a spiritual deadbeat, you give in to the urge. And then apathy sets in. And then other things become more important than the house of God. And other things become more important than raising your kids in the ways of the Lord. What I'm praying this morning 
is that us model men here that what we would be modeling is godly character, godly convictions, and a godly commitment to Jesus Christ. I pray that our kids would see. I pray that our kids would notice. And I pray that we would model. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray a prayer over us men, including myself this morning, that we would model godly character to our wives. That, Father, we would model godly character to our children. Lord, I pray that apathy would not set in in our home. That, God, we would not become stale in living for you and serving you and following you and making a commitment to you. I pray that within the men, the fathers here in this room this morning, that there would be a passion for the things of God. That there would be a passion, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness. That there would be a desire for godly character, for godly courage. Father, I pray that we would set the tone within our home with godly convictions and a godly commitment to Jesus. Father, every single one of us here, we are models. We are modeling something. I pray that we would model a godly passion to our home. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray for those fathers here this morning that as they go, that today would just be a wonderful day full of blessings, full of gifts, full of barbecue, just full of I love yous, full of hugs, full of memories, and full of a Clipper victory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go Clippers. Let's all stand.